0: happening now we want to welcome our viewers from across the united states and around the world this is the edtech situation room good morning good day good evening this is edtech situation room episode 290 we're rounding the corner to 300 on april 19th 2023 my name is jason knifer and i am the executive director of the montana digital academy which is montana state virtual school located on the beautiful university of montana campus right here in sunny snowy rainy missoula montana which where we continue Experience winter, even though it should be well gone from now. But joining me tonight, as always, good evening, Dr. Westfryer. How are you tonight, sir?
1: Good evening, Jason. I am doing well. Joining you from, well, basically Charlotte, North Carolina, Matthews, where I am, am a computer science and robotics and engineering teacher. Although I may not may not teach engineering, I may get to give up engineering for web design uh, next year. But I am at Providence Day School and I am wearing my colors tonight and we are not experiencing winter. It was 85 degrees today and it's going to rain perhaps on Saturday and dip in maybe into the low 60s, upper 50s. So, yeah, just uh, just a little different. But uh, there's some political fireworks in your your state, Dr.
0: Nifer. <laughs> uh there are yeah lots going on here um we did officially the the ban tiktok bill did pass here officially last week and um what's interesting about that is it's getting a lot of national attention because um I, I i don't know i i i will avoid the the some of the commentary because it is close to home but what i literally close to home but what i would say is that I'm not entirely sure that people that were calling for the banning of TikTok actually thought that anyone would ban TikTok. Like it's just such a dramatic uh, step forward that the fact that uh, a state uh, has done it. And by the way, it was, um, it was not a partisan vote. It was, I wouldn't call it you know completely bipartisan, but there were plenty of, of, of Montana's minority party. We have uh, veto proof majorities of Republicans in both the house and Senate in the state and the Republican governor. Uh, it was there was bipartisan support for this uh, in the same way that there seemed to be a bipartisan um, uh, attitude when the tick tock hearings happened in D.C. several weeks back. But, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But um, I don't think this is an hour tick tock. What is what is this hour all about, uh, Dr. Fryer? What are we doing tonight? We are here to talk A.I. and nothing but A.I., baby. So just get ready. I- Uh, Actually,
1: uh, we're here to talk about the past week's technology news and shoot those through an educational lens, although it appears my camera is stalled. I probably need to, I'm, maybe I need to, oh, I did move it. Anyway, I'm I'm still using my camera. This is great. Can you still hear me?
0: Oh, yeah, I can hear you. I can see you. You're moving and. I'm moving?
1: Okay, I'm not moving on my own screen. All right using old older tech we are here to talk about a variety of headlines and uh we do have a live viewer it could be peggy peggy retweeted us it might be my dad who knows but we're going to talk about social media and the tech correction security and privacy oh my gosh look how fast i'm going now maybe i'm just replaying that for myself <laughs> security and privacy ai there are seriously like over 20 ai girls here. Copyright copyright intellectual property Uh, like war, uh, with a little China. I think we, I don't know if we did. I don't think we did that one last time. Yeah. Um, from last week, Uh, a little culture war article, some Google articles, uh, Microsoft, and then the lovely miscellaneous with our geeks of the week at the end. And, uh, yeah, maybe the only time I'm, I think I'm just going to do one geek of the week, Jason. So it's going to be so, so fast. So probably need to start somewhere besides AI since we'll completely fall into that whole, very soon would you like to start us off with something besides ai
0: yeah let's let's do some social media news because there is a uh, there's some interesting stuff going on right now um and you know we've been talking about since 2016, this notion of a tech correction, right, that of all of the um, extraordinary things that happened in the 2016 election as it related to social media, revelations in 2017 about Cambridge Analytica, and um, by the way, I don't think we have any articles on this, but there are apparently some... Um, uh, uh, apparently some uh, lawsuits that have happened where Meta is going to pay out like $750 million out to its users uh, that were sucked into the Cambridge Analytica scandal and other data uh, uh, scandals. I've seen a couple references to it. Didn't put an article in today. I'll search for a good one for a future episode. But I was really taken by uh, uh, an article in today's New York times uh, called the future of social media is a lot less social and um, this article by Brian Chan uh, talks a, a little bit about kind of what's happening um, uh, on social media uh, posts and the whole point of social media and one of the reasons why it gets a lot of defenders is because of the extraordinary power it has to connect but what's argument uh, or wh- what is happening in this article is that Mr. Chen is arguing I, I think very eloquently that Um, The bottom line is that social media platforms aren't what they used to be. And in fact, most of the things we see on social media platforms are either ads or paid content. And what he means by that is that the number of people that get compensated to post, so sponsored posts, um, ads, uh, brand partnerships, uh, you know, that's what it takes to, to make it as a content creator, right? I don't ne- necessarily fault content creators for this because if they're trying to do this as a job, that's that's the income in this, right? Like very few platforms uh, do share ad revenues with you. In fact, that's one of the unique things about TikTok is that it will share um, uh, 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 revenue with you once you get to a certain level of, 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 of viewership. But it points out that Instagram and Facebook uh, Facebook feeds are full of of ads and sponsor posts. TikTok and Snapchat stuff with videos from influencers, growing dish soaps and dating apps and soon Twitter, making the most visibility uh, Twitter posts that gain most of visibility will come from subscribers who pay for the per- or the exposure and other perks. And so what he argues is that what is likely to happen is that in a in in desperation for us to be more social, we may choose new platforms or smaller platforms um, uh, that have uh, much, much smaller audiences, but we're only connected to people that we have an interpersonal relationship with, right? And and I would think too, that maybe... Um, uh, what that also means is that we would pay for that, right? Like if we move to a, you know, a, a, a platform to be named later, or we decide we're going to call you know the next great social media platform Knife after me, right? So we're going to say, hey, I got a knife tonight, and, and and you know hung out with four or five of my friends. Well, then I can see a scenario where if they're not going to sell our data, and they're not going to show us advertising, and they're not going to show us. Um, And they're going to be much more strict about, about sponsored posts and brand sponsorships and all the things that the creators have. Maybe I have to pay for, you know, four or five, uh, uh, four or five bucks a month, 10 or 15 bucks a month, 20 or 30 bucks a month. They have that privilege. Right. And so I find that to be really interesting because that that's tech correction, right? That's, I don't want my data sold. I don't want, um, I don't want to be spammed constantly with ads. And I have one other point about, about sponsored social media, but um, I, to you, uh, Dr. Fryer, any thoughts about that? You know, I know you are a uh, voracious user of social media um, in both terms of, of private and, and, and um, professional pursuits, right? Um, you know, what, what's your thoughts about um, what Brian's saying here in the New York Times?
1: I am all for reducing the influence of ads on our lives. I've uh, taught a lesson today uh, with my media literacy students about infopics. And we're doing this in the context of talking about conspiracy theories and the moon landing. But we talk about advertising. Um you know, and I think that we're gonna. I, I do. I enjoy learning about products that I have interest in. So the the targeting aspect of this can be good, but I like to have some control on it. I like to have sort of a virtual knob, you know, to turn it on and off. That's one of the reasons I love watching YouTube on my Chrome browser on my laptop because I can. Well, actually, I am now a YouTube. Uh, what is it? It's not called Prime red what is it anyway i'm paying for youtube because i finally just got fed up you know yeah. and that that isn't that the dream for youtube that's what they want and and so when i've i do have uh, you know at least one other channel that i sometimes will switch to and it's not i'm not paying for two two channels and anyway it is hard it's hard to deal with it with the ads i really really love mastodon And no, we don't have the volume of folks, uh, the quantity of folks that are on Mastodon uh, that are on Twitter. But one of the things I was struck by just recently really was, you know, I've never really loved Twitter because it had millions of people on it. I love Twitter because I was able to connect with other educators and then others just passionate about some of the technology tools and some of the things that I'm interested in. And so I have, have continued to find good engagement. In fact, I think there may be even better engagement on Mastodon um, at times than Twitter. And so I am liking it a lot. Betsy is saying that uh, she's on the K-12 leaders platform. Is that Betsy one that maybe Scott McCloud has had a part of? Um, so it's working like social media for teachers and education folks. And I have, that's one of those that I've joined, but I have just not engaged with. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that we've definitely, to answer your question, are in the era of greater, uh, fractured information streams. So yeah. there there's just more and the confluence of factors which has led so many people to be on Twitter and still there's a lot of folks on Facebook and I enjoy it uh and I still enjoy Instagram I don't know and I and I share stuff on TikTok but it's you know I'm I'm totally fine with the trend and yeah. I think that you know pushing back um with with ad blockers but also with other you know, we don't want. I mean, here yeah, this is, I guess, a political statement, but I don't think we want uh, capitalists to, to just and, and corporations to just run wild and do whatever they want. I don't. I don't think that really will increase our quality of life. I I think that you know companies and corporations can can be wonderful and and can do some good things, but I think that as consumers and as citizens and just as human beings, <clears throat> we have rights. I think that we need privacy rights, and and by the way, I was I, I, we didn't get to do it today, but I think I mentioned to you. I don't know if it was live on the show, but but our conversations here have sparked my own awareness that I, I and I think we too, and well, and you're in a different political situation than I am with your your day job, but that we should be involved in helping um, with the formulation of legislation, for instance, that yes. may have to do with privacy law or with the tech correction and with AI, and so I had called uh one of our u.s senators uh thom tillis and uh thanked him because he's nominated our daughter for the air force academy but also to say, hey, I'm a media literacy middle school teacher, and I've tracked a lot of things with big tech and AI. And I don't know if you have an advisory group that talks to you uh, or works with your staffers about that. I know that my dad in Kansas has has served in that role with Veterans Affairs with with one of their state senators. And so I just you know threw it out there. Well, I got a phone call uh, last week and it played phone tag a little bit. And I and pro- and tomorrow or Friday I think we're going to be able to make a connection with a uh, staffer that's in the Senate on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, which is kind of cool. I mean, who knows? It may not go anywhere, but Hey, constituents and the opportunities that we can have to, to, to have input. Um, we definitely need privacy law in our, in, in the United States, um, a greater level than we have, I think federally across the board, not just in California or a few States. And, um, I think that, you know, we need to, we need to seek places where we're going to be, um, you know, lifted up and in, enri- and ha- our lives are going to be enriched by the interactions that we find in social media. And if we're not, if you're not finding that in the social media you're using now, uh, keep looking. Um, Betsy's shout out to the K12 Leaders platform is a good one. I'll continue to do shout outs to Macedon. I don't know if Twitter's going to implode or not. I'm continuing to post there, but uh, I'm less and less motivated to, you know uh invest in twitter and i'm also uh encouraged by the fact that for instance flipboard is has already made mastodon uh, pretty pretty good and 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 with the folks that i do follow there uh, flipboard is still a great experience for me even though i no longer can follow my twitter lists and we, have, we talked about that last week
0: yeah yeah well, there's one other thing I want to bring up that I think is also related to this. The article talks into, and it. it's interesting because uh, Wes, we're starting to talk about a couple articles a little uh, 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 in a little more depth uh, week by week here. Even though we have a, a mass number, but something I've noticed that drives me a little crazy uh, engaging in social media is I feel like there are an awful lot of professional creators that aren't disclosing that they're advertising. And I, I won't name specific ones on the TikTok community. There are four or five of them that I think are particularly problematic. One of them is a big family account that, that posts um, uh, uh, pretty regularly. And they, I mean, it's clear, it's, it's abundantly clear that they're getting sponsorship deals and all sorts of pieces here. And I've read the FTC law um regarding this and they have actually actually have some really wonderful pages about what this looks like and, and how it's supposed to look but they are really really uh, out of control on several users accounts and um at first i thought it was kind of a mistake of of youth right that someone becomes a content creator at 16 17 18 19 20 and they're just not aware um, but I do feel like that there's enough information about the necessity to be um, to be upfront about that. There's just no excuse anymore. and there's no excuse for people that have millions of followers on 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 a piece to not know that. And that part is starting to become very concerning to me because I also feel like that in the case of, well, I mean, we've seen this in context of of creators that have kind of gone public. With um, with what some uh, demands are made of them by people that they have contracts with, and I follow. I mean, there's a there's a large variety of of, of people that I follow, particularly on YouTube, and and listening to them talk about. Um, you know, brand deals that they make and the kind of things they need to do. Um, and, and a lot of times they sign a contract that basically says, don't disclose this, even though that's a violation of FTC rule. And that part too. They that, should be fined for that, right? Yeah, that's they like should.
1: saying, you know, you've got to speed, you know, to drive for our trucking company, you're going right. to have to drive hundred miles an hour everywhere. I mean, you just shouldn't be able to legally
0: do that. And by the way, it's also against FTC regulation to post a positive review for something that you don't like. Like that's that's also something too that I mean, that would be a harder one. Uh, that's yeah. a harder one to define. But I was on the FTC page earlier today because I I saw a concerning set of posts is the way I'll describe it um, on on a, a popular social media platform and um uh, yeah it's it just really concerning to me so um there's one more article that's kind of related to well, actually. there's a couple articles related to this but um uh, there was a really great article uh, on monday from the verge we mentioned blue sky before but it is a an attempt to kind of recreate twitter in uh, some kind of uh, it, it seems like it's a, a federated system kind of like mastodon is uh, a little bit but um, Blue Sky uh, is trying to um, create an alternative social media platform for people to move to that that tries to build in a lot of the protections that existed at Twitter that were disbanded when Mr. Musk took over the company last year. And I will say that and I have put in for a beta re- request. Uh, uh, you know we'll see if, if, if and when I get it uh, before they're they're largely public. But I do think that some, maybe most, but not all teachers, and education voices would abandon Twitter to a new location uh, that, that had that had compromises on it. The other thing I've also learned over time is that not every person in the ed tech world, for example, I mean, a lot of them are sitting around worrying about their SEO and, you know, in some cases also have financial relationships with companies that they're not disclosing to. That's not uh, the, the, our, our, our corner of the, the, the social media world isn't immune to that. But I would like to see if there's a place, you know, the thing is I don't want to leave Twitter is because I have friends there that I would have a hard time finding on Mastodon or they don't want to do Mastodon. And it's still pretty wild westy over at Mastodon. But I hope that Blue Sky has a chance of becoming a, a, a decent alternative here.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I don't, I didn't put it in there, but the, I think it's the latest twit. Yeah, it is the latest twit podcast, which I don't listen to, you know, every week, but, um, it was a a very excellent discussion about content moderation and how, you know, social media platforms and others that flap around about, you know, free speech and just going to be a free speech platform. I mean, if, if anytime somebody starts to moderate a, a, a sizable user base, you learn that you have to moderate and, yes. and you, you, there is no, we, we are just neutral. And I don't know if we have an article about it, but the, it, the uh, CEO it's referenced in this verge article, you just put in the CEO of, um, sub uh, really, I think had a big fail, uh, in this uh, podcast interview recently because did not have a good answer for, for instance, some uh, acknowledged Nazis and white supremacists that are using the platform. And um, I think that we've talked about, we've we've talked about this quite a while back on the show, but it's important in civics education and in school to help folks understand what the first amendment means yeah. and who is allowed to regulate speech and you know we have still some pretty ardent strong voices screaming about being first amendment extreme you know absolutists and no one wants that in practice on a social media platform you absolutely don't want the the raw sewage that is going to be everywhere if there are not guardrails and you know com- you know community guidelines and those aren't enforced so
0: well, and the, I think the other lesson we've learned from this is that, um, you know, the, the new Twitter under new uh, ownership has also, uh, the, despite its free speech absolutist piece, um, uh, has also chosen to regulate speech in a way that they may not see is, is uh, uh, based in hypocrisy, but I think is. And um, the bottom line is that you, uh, it, it does seem like the absolute free speech crowd is extremely extremely interested in their speech being free but isn't as interested in your speech being free
1: why don't let's go ahead and just do these because we can do these kind of quick. Some of these I, I got, uh, I'll kind of go in a, you know, wave of like, oh, here's all these technic articles. These were from one of our local Charlotte, North Carolina uh, TV affiliates, WBTV, which I'm sure everyone is reading that. Um, but a 13 year old uh, died from an overdose after attempting a TikTok challenge. Uh, this was in Columbus, Ohio, and this is from WTV, uh, WBTV.com on April 17th. Um, evidently their 13-year-old son Jason, uh no, sorry, Jacob, um, died after he overdosed um taking over-the-counter medicine. Um, he took a bunch of Benadryl responding to a TikTok challenge, and he died after six days on a ventilator. Um, we've talked before about uh TikTok challenges. They are real. There's also been, you know, a great deal of fervor, and some people have argued, you know, moral panic over that. And and perhaps some overreaction, but Hey, there are kids who have died um, doing these things. And and again, we need to, we need to be talking about uh, these things with students, right? In a digital citizenship context, in a, in a health and safety context. I mean, where are you going to weave that in? But uh, we've got kids who are harming themselves and social media is playing a role. Maybe that won't be happening in Montana anymore. If TikTok is banned, but uh, maybe the kids are still going to find a way to get on. Uh, Tech Dirt, which is not a publication that I necessarily read a lot, but um, had an article on April the 14th about Twitter suspending a user for sharing a Washington Post story about the Pentagon Docs leaker. This stuff is crazy. We, I don't have the article in here about uh, Substack, but for a day or so, you know, evidently Elon himself – because most of the stupid things happening with Twitter do start with the CEO, apparently, um, you know, was mad at Mastodon and so was gonna, was blocking the links that people were sharing to, did I say Mastodon? Substack. He was blocking yep. Substack links. Um, yep. And then, you know, this, of course, I, I honestly think that Elon Musk is not psychologically well. Um if you want to listen to last week's Hard Fork podcast, I'm not going to say out loud what he had uh, painted on a mural next to Twitter or what he changed his Twitter uh, name to. But it is just ridiculously uh, profane things that maybe a middle school student might do. And this is the grown man that runs Twitter. Um these and you know and people will try to say well this is a contradiction because you know he said he wanted to be the free speech platform and all this i'm telling you folks the man is not psychologically well and from the standpoint of uh, a tech platform that deserves our investment of our ideas of our time of our intellectual property um this sort of just shoot from the hip i'm going to block these links i'm going to block this like that is completely antithetical to the web unless it is is based on a sound policy for for um content moderation and these aren't this these are like vendettas against companies he he blamed um you know uh substack for stealing twitter code to you know put out a clone because it has a notes feature and it, it's just um it's just, you know, so silly. Um, I'm just doing these real quick and then we'll, we'll let you respond to all of them. Jason mm-hmm. TechCrunch on April the 10th, uh, Twitter circle tweets are not private anymore. This is also huge. Okay. Just think about all of your direct messages suddenly being public. Uh, if you're not familiar with Twitter circles, it was a quote private way to be able to share things just among friends. I'm in like one Twitter circle that Lucy gray, who's a, a Apple distinguished educator, uh, I know her from being up in Chicago. I think she's still in Chicago area. Anyway, um, I haven't shared a whole lot there. I like to share publicly. I don't really want to share privately. But these were not just like available for hackers. They were actually put as promoted feeds or recommended posts in other people's feeds somehow. And so I don't know whether this was a sign that, you know, Elon has fired too many Twitter engineers and and the algorithm is going bad. Um, but that's a that's an egregious violation of of an, an alleged, you know, private way of, of sharing posts. And then lastly, um, and you've already mentioned the social media TikTok ban, well, the TikTok ban in um Montana, this is in Gadget from April 12th, Arkansas passes social media law requiring age verification. And it is unclear at this point how this is going to be enforced, but some folks are saying this is going to mean, you know, taking a scan of your driver's license and, you know, uploading that. Uh, that could radically change anonymity on the web. Now, maybe there's some positives to that, but there's also a lot of reasons why, you know, we We don't want to have a requirement to upload a driver's license uh, to any kind of social media account that that we need to to join. So anyway, that's pretty substantial. And that follows on the heels of Utah, which we talked about, I think, a couple of weeks ago, um, where Utah passed and the governor signed a social media law that's going to require anyone under the age of 18 to have parental consent. That law goes into effect in a year um, but parents are going to have to sign off on accounts, and then the the actual websites are supposed to give parents complete permission to access all private messaging as well as public messaging from their children. So there you go, Doctor. I for five articles. I'm sure you've got a few opinions.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll just share one of them, and then we can move on. This 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 time we're spending half an hour on social media. So the um, the Engadget article is super interesting because here here's the thing about. A the whole notion of social media safety, right? And, and and not not that I'm against this. Actually, in fact, I I think it's probably the, the social media companies probably should have uh, parental uh, uh, parental permission for students to get on, on these platforms. And in fact, I just remember all the hand wringing 15 years ago, 15 years ago, 18, 19, almost 20 years ago when Facebook started becoming widely um, uh, available, and there was a 13 um year old age limit and you know middle schoolers would regularly just lie and get on the platform anyways. Um I I it feels like it's a little sketchy to hand off your parental driver's license to some, you know, I don't care who the company is, right? I think that also creates some ug as well. I also think we do need to put more tools in the hands of parents to help their kids with these social media platforms, right? Um, you know, I uh having been a, a, I guess a bit parental adjacent because I have had nieces um that are both now adults um that, that kind of went through this a uh, group in the age of social media and having their parents navigate it and you know the um the the one instagram profile that you you know you share with everyone including your family and then there's uh, uh alternative accounts that are not shared with your family but then they get recommended to you as as, as uncle jason you know that sort of stuff is uh, uh it all an interesting part of this but at what point are you drawing the line on social media? And I'll give you a really prominent example of this. YouTube is considered a social media platform, right? I don't think it's a social media platform because that's not how I use it, right? Um, I think of it as a media hosting platform, but depending on how they draw the line here, it does have a stunning influence on 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 uh, uh, middle school and high school students. If we suddenly cut off YouTube because it requires a parental signature to get onto it, and again, I'm not going to wade into that debate because I do think that that there's a that there, there is a, a debate to be had there about how much parents should be giving permission for students to access X, Y, and Z. But that's where I think this is super interesting. If you go into detail in the article, the line of what a social media um, a uh, 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 system is isn't particularly clear, and in fact, there seems to be some generic language that goes ahead and exempts LinkedIn as a professional, uh, social media platform. But I, I know I I just think it's it's really interesting, and you know I these are not the regulations I'm looking for. It they might be the regulations we get right, but I hope we can continue to have nuanced conversations. So at some point we are meaningfully regulating these platforms
1: here's one more uh, that before we we go we have 20 AR 20 AI articles by the way ladies and gentlemen so <laughs> that's it that's it that's all uh netflix jason do you remember uh, getting dvds from netflix do i from netflix? do remember
0: getting dvds from netflix all
1: right well did you know that netflix is bringing that to a close again this is from what everyone else i'm sure in the world is reading wbtv charlotte north carolina um this was well it's an ap article they reprinted of course from april 18th netflix to bring down the curtain on its DVD by mail service. And it talks about, as we've mentioned, declining numbers, uh, revenue, as well as subscribers on Netflix. Again, there's more choices. There's Disney plus there's Peacock. There's like all these different, you know, uh, streaming services. Uh, and so they're, you know, under some pressure as far as uh, revenue growth. And at one point, you know, the DVD service was Netflix's biggest moneymaker they had stopped in um what, 2011, uh, they stopped reporting uh, how many folks were subscribing to that specific service. But uh, lots of DVDs that were, that don't stream, you know, have been available DVD only. And so anyway, there are, are a number of folks in different places, I think, that are probably a little sad that that red and white envelope cannot, oh, well, it'll stop us at the end of September, I think, um, we will no longer be able to show up in your in your uh, mailbox. When did you, I assume you stopped the mail order DVD? Or I, you still I did. Doing that?
0: And I'm glad you asked me that because it reminds me of, of kind of a funny story about Netflix. And, um, my, my wife and I were early Netflix subscribers and we really liked it because it was a way to get movies without having to move toward more gray markets, uh, for that, that purpose. And, um, you know, and we, we were regular users, but we, ran into what I like to refer to as the Sophie's Choice problem, which is we rented Sophie's Choice, right? Extraordinarily good movie. I think we had both seen it before, but we wanted to see it again. And we couldn't, like, it just, we were never in the mood for that movie. We knew about the movie, right? We, 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 um... Uh, uh certainly chose uh, to get that movie, but it kept, it, it, it was just the movie we just couldn't do, we couldn't deal with it, right? We couldn't figure it out uh, when to watch that, when we'd be in the mood to watch that movie. And, you know, it was, it was three at a time, unless you, you bought up, right, to a bigger piece. And then I can't remember what the second movie was, but then we had a second movie we didn't want to watch. We didn't want to return it before we watched it, we (laughs) wanted the opportunity to watch it. But then that movie is sitting gathering dust on our television for like six months before we're like, we're never going to watch this movie. We're never going to be in the mood to watch this movie. So we're going to send it back. And that was always kind of our Netflix problem. And when they did pivot in what, 2006, seven ish, um, to streaming, um, uh, I I knew it was brilliant, and in fact, I had considered actually investing. And if I invested uh, in Netflix, just thousand dollars in um, uh, two thousand five, like because I just looked this up, I'd have one hundred eighty nine thousand dollars today. So there's a uh, you know a very large return back. So wow. it's a eighteen thousand percent return. Um, which yeah.
1: Okay, so two other small things uh, about this. This is sort of like watching the block, the Onion blockbuster, you know, DVD. Do you remember when people used to go to the store to find a movie, and sometimes it wouldn't be on the shelf? Um, so in the early days of Netflix. You you had the ability to friend people and then see what they were renting and that was really cool. Uh, I have a, a friend from college that just has some very eclectic tastes and at some point that went away. I don't know if that was because of litigation or what what the deal was, but that was so cool to see what Bill was renting and there were movies that we would have never found or thought of. And and Peggy asked, you know, why would you do this? I, I'm pretty sure there's a, a good number of, of movies that are only on dvd they're, they don't stream in the licensing and the rights and and they're old enough um and another clarification back to the twitter circles and we did this in the chat but for people who are listening i maybe it wasn't clear twitter did not intend to make people's twitter circle posts public that was that was an accident apparently so it was something that wasn't supposed to happen and it did but the last thing is Uh, this is interesting about ratings. And I don't, at one time, iTunes, you would rate from one to five. And you know, like now on Spotify, and I think with Netflix, and probably most, it's just an up or down. It's not a, a, you know, how many stars do you want to give it? And my understanding and reading at some point was that, you know, people had different thresholds of what would qualify as a four star or five star versus what would be a two-star or a three star. And in terms of trying to create this massive recommendation engine that would say, well, if Jason liked, you know, Sophie's choice, then he's gonna like, you know, this. Uh, A binary system that is just a straight thumbs up, thumbs down is a better system. So anyway, that's just kind of a a related aside. But yes, we'll be the last generation to remember, um, as Betsy said, when the Internet arrived in your mailbox.
0: Yeah, ain't that the truth. All right. Okay, Dr. Fryer, I guess we have a we have a decision to make. Do we go with security privacy? Do we go with AI? Do we take a smaller topic? What is your preference, kind sir?
1: I say let's just jump into the deep end of AI. So take take us there. After re- after getting ready for your keynote for, you know, months and months. I you're you're the best person I know to in- to enlighten me. So, let's go.
0: Well, let's start off with um I didn't find an article that I really wanted to talk about tonight, but I, I you know, already there is plenty of, um, I guess I don't know how else to put this. There is plenty of, of, of of I don't know, hucksters in the world in regards to AI and AI-based tools. Um, and, you know, if you go on Twitter, there is an awful lot of, I don't even call it hand-ringy. It's just a lot of show show-personship, you know, like... ChatGPT is over. The next one is this. And um, and I did want to talk about that The one of the things happening right now is auto-GPT. That is really one of the big topics right now. And I wish you could, you know, say that, uh, you know go to autogpt.net or something but you can it's not a tool per se it is there is there is there's code bases for it but there is isn't one autogpt tool there are multiple autogpt tools it's kind of like saying the chat gpt itself is a is a foundational base but what bu- people are building on top of it that that is is further interesting but autogpt is something that i think people assumed the chat gpt would be able to to do at some point but essentially is an yeah, automated and and not, not really self-aware in the way the singularity people might talk about, but because it can access the internet and because it can um essentially take commands, Audio GPT is the evolution from these AI models being chatbots versus being something that can interact with other websites. And I have seen some demos on YouTube. Um, some of them were really clearly fake, uh, but others uh, others of them seem pretty legitimate where, you know, you tell an auto GPT enabled tool that I would like you to order a pizza for me and have it delivered at 630. And it was able to get to the point uh, of, you know, basically right before pressing, uh, you know, place your order on the Domino's website, right? I was able to, to interact and figure out those pieces. Um, also, um, there's been numerous experiments with you know, having it do a task like research this for me, or uh, look at the market uh, of of this kind of thing or that kind of thing um, in regards to websites to be able to to figure those really pieces bad. out. I wanted to mention it because not because uh, you know there's a particular tool I think you should go to, but there does seem to be an awful lot of attention around Auto GPT is kind of the next logical step in generative AI.
1: And uh, we'll mention – well, we'll talk about some of this in the Geek of the Week maybe, but this idea of the engine, the the, the AI, being unleashed to have a lot more autonomous ability to do things. So, right, instead of having to chat and go back and forth – You know, my understanding is it you know give give it this command and this this overall goal, and then it's going to come up with all these things to do, and it's going to go and do them. And I think that the degree to which we allow AI systems to be autonomous and to make autonomous decisions is going to be an important, you know it's going to be important to decide to what, what level does that happen? Uh, There's been a campaign against killer robots for quite a while when I was uh, still teaching in Yukon, Oklahoma, teaching fourth and fifth grade STEM. Um, And uh, get this year, right. Um, That would have been 2013 through 15. Uh, So around 2014, there was like a United Nations big convention that was, you know, about killer robots. And anyway, uh, it, and, and evidently, in the DMZ in Korea, we we have uh, we the United States military has uh, some robots that that have weapons and they're authorized to shoot. Um, with drones, you know, supposedly we don't have uh, the, we're not autonomously you know saying you know go find this you know this person and this face. Uh, we still have human beings that are they pulling triggers, but I think that uh, it's a it's a uh, maybe inevitable path that we're going to follow where these systems are going to have greater and greater capacity to take some inputs and then really run with them. So, but I appreciate the clarification there because it is definitely getting, getting some buzz.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So um, a couple of interesting links I found this week in regards to um, uh, kind of AI related pieces. Um, There was a really great article in today's Washington post that I think is it's starting to answer some of the questions about, you know, um, uh, where where this came from, right? Not, not the tools themselves, but the information it's trained off of. And this is uh, inside the secret list of websites that make AI like ChatGPT sound smart. And um, uh, a group of um, uh, tech journalists uh, decided to kind of go through and start to um, uh, dig through this black box and... Uh, they uh, analyzed google's c4 dataset a massive snapshot of the contents of 15 million websites that have been used to instruct some of the high profile english language ai i'm quoting directly called large language models including google's t5 and facebook's llama um, tool ai does not disclose what data sets it uses to train its model for its its chatbot chatgpt and then they worked with people that can can process lots of data in order to figure out Um, um, you know, what they were quoting. And um, it's really interesting because they've created a, you know, really cool uh, graphic to be able to do it. So in news and media, here are the five uh, uh, top websites: Wikipedia.org, scri- or, uh, scribed, which is interesting because that's a you know a free for all of documents. Uh, New York Times.com, and theguardian.com. Under arts and entertainment: uh, PBS.org, uh, Bustle.com, WikiVisually.com, Screenrant.com, and Fanpop.com. Um, jobs and education: Coursera, EdWeek. Uh, Blogs.EdWeek, ThoughtCo, and Cambridge.org. So that's what we're talking about here. And, um, you know, an early criticism that I feel very, um, um, I I guess for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, 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 okay to make is that we don't really know. What the da- where the data comes from, because it's not quoting data, it's generating data based off the data, if I'm not talking myself into a circle there. And I think a lot of people still wanna make this into a search tool or a search engine. It also becomes complicated when, if you are of, of a point of view that the internet's generally biased against your views, right? Um, um, that you know, chatbot trained on the internet, would you know and these websites would then be prone to give you answers that you don't agree with also if the internet tends to have a certain set of biases which you know i think has been well established uh, in in the last uh, 30 years of internet access that creates um a, a whole different thing too so i'll just kind of leave that to you dr fryer any thoughts about uh the washington post uh study here
1: I wonder if AI is going to push more journalists and journalism publications behind paywalls, because you don't see the, you know, um, the uh, Wall Street Journal or, um, you know, the a lot, a lot of articles on the New York Times and the Washington Post are sometimes available publicly. But anyway, that's just a thought that I had because. Some of the complaint that people have had is that, you know, all of this has been scraped without compensation and attribution, really. And um, anyway, that's just, a, that's just a thought that I have. I don't know. I, it, what, the models that have been built to this time have ingested just vast troves of text, of, of data. And again, this is why I think the creators of TikTok are just so amazingly intelligent because they created a platform where the world's you know, not only youth, but also many older uh, older people are just pouring tons of video into it. So, you know, the secret and the key to machine learning and to these AI algorithms is a vast quantity of data. And as privacy laws, if privacy laws end up ramping up, you know, perhaps that's going to, you know, curb the amount of data that that these platforms are going to be able to hoover up, you know, without without attribution. So I think that's fascinating. And look, Wikipedia, and I don't know if this is related. Wikipedia is so important. I'm I'm continuing to advocate for its use as a launch pad and a starting point for research and for us to talk about how to thoughtfully use it. Um, it is really, really incredible the the breadth and depth of information that is available on Wikipedia in multiple languages. And um, anyway, it reminds me of some stuff that uh, um, Sundar Pichai talked about as far as emergent technologies. I don't know if you've got any articles that talk about that, some of these emergent things that AIs are doing.
0: Yeah, let me make one other comment um, related to, to that, that broader point. Um, I, AI... Well, AI trains on on data, right? And and so when you think about that in context of TikTok being an AI company, um, it's it's even more um, um, it, it's even it's even more poignant when you think about it from the standpoint that I don't think that TikTok, it, 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 assuming they're using it for AI training, right? And they are an AI company but they're not just training it off of your video because you upgrade you up you know, you upload a video and certainly video input is an extraordinary training tool but what you're doing with it matters an awful lot as an end user, because when you uh, like something or follow someone, and, and that's true of all social media companies, right? Anyone that uses a logarithm in order to uh, try to pr- pr- give you more content that keeps you more engaged, they're doing that too. But when you think about it from the standpoint of an AI-based company, how mind-blowing is it that what they could be creating is the ultimate way to engage you as a consumer right like it knows exactly what messages it needs to push to which audiences to get them to react in in, in a certain way and that's where it starts to get a little scary for me right like now that said I don't think that's really any different than what Facebook is doing and their shift towards kind of an AI centered world too because the the metaverse doesn't seem to be really working out for them is literally the exact same thing right it's just a US based company as opposed to a Chinese based company but yeah that it, it is it's certainly interesting um uh how that that plays out so all right what else OK, great article from Creative Block on on uh, April 5th. And um, I, I just want to point this out because it's everything you need to know about why the last 12 months have been really, really challenging. And they actually cite a, um, a an Instagram post that did a a, a comparison of mid journey March 2022 with mid journey um, March 2023. And if you look at the images, it asked the exact same prompt uh, they used on both. And the first prompt was, or I'm sorry, the prompt is Donald Trump and Barack Obama playing basketball. And it creates a really weird image uh, in, in 2022. It's something vaguely recognizable as, as former President Trump. Um, and the way you, you recognize it is because it has a large plumage of, of blonde hair, right? And then it it, it has some other creature that it doesn't really look particular not that the trump creature looks all that human the 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 obama creature certainly doesn't and you know and again if you've played around with these these uh generation models uh previous to the, the to the current generation you know exactly what we're talking about in fact uh, dr fryer and i you know i think on the show we're playing around with stable diffusion um in 2022 and you know you had to you had to work hard to get an image that doesn't wasn't weird right or look like a 70 progressive rock album cover right so the if you're a
1: Pink Floyd out, you know, depending on
0: your taste, it may be a Well, yeah, you're looking for a pink Floyd but- fan. You're if you like, were looking dude. for real, realistic, yeah, hyper realistic, yeah. no, no hyper realistic. Yeah, yeah, you were, you were, and you say the word dude a lot when you're referring to that. But then they used the exact same problem with Mid Journey 5 in, I'm assuming Mid Journey 5 in 2023. And it's it's slightly short of photorealistic because it does look more like a drawing, but it is a legitimate photo, or I'm sorry, legitimate looking image of uh, former President Trump. Um, in a suit, looks like Donald Trump in a suit, right? Former President Barack Obama. Um, he's in more basketball looking wear, but they're playing one-on-one um, in, in an outdoor uh, uh, basketball court. And that, that's a year. Right. And so, you know, I I, I've actually seen several references in just the last couple of days of people saying that we're overly uh, estimating, you know, the speed of this. And it's going to be several years before these technologies do X, Y and Z. I couldn't disagree more that the speed of, of the evolution of these technologies in the last six months alone is absolutely and utterly bewildering.
1: Yes. And I think that is one of the things that we should be able to have consensus on the the speed with which chat gpt specifically went to a mind blowing number of users is something that has caught people's attention uh, but this is fantastic this is exactly the kind of um, i like to use videos but i like but articles and images i i like to use as wonder links Um, It's this juxtaposition. My, My wife is a health coach and she's into sort of the before and after, you know, and those are those can be dramatic. Look, I, you know, I was 50 pounds heavier. Now I'm lighter. I mean, seeing those side by side tells tells a huge story. I, in fact, I was interested. Have you used Padlet lately to see how its AI creation tools no, are improving? No, Padlet need... has an AI creation tool. Oh, okay. I thought I had mentioned that on the show. Yes, so our school pays for a commercial license for Padlet. So I've got a dashboard as a teacher and um, you know, use it frequently. In fact, it's become one of our main ways to share inside our classroom. Um, Seesaw, which I used last semester, is just anyway with google classroom and everything we got to do it's just a uh, it's just been a little bit more cumbersome but but padlet like for instance today i had my kids create three uh, infopics about this 13 reasons the moon moon landing was faked by this you know, flat earth YouTuber JP Sears. And then they picked their favorite one and they put it on Padlet. Well on Padlet, instead of choosing to post an image or a text, you can uh, just click, I think in the, in like the white space or whatever. And then there is a creation option, but it's not fantastic. I think it's based on stable diffusion, but this article makes me realize, and I had thought about this the other day, I need to go back and let's play with it some more. Because legally, I think they have changed the terms of service for ChatGBT, haven't they? Because it was 18 and now it, it went down to 13. Um, I think so. I think yeah. that's right. I think that's right. I don't have the article reference for that, but um, I have I've, I've seen that from some folks I, I do trust on uh, social media. So, but I mean- it, anyway, so I'm not. I have not asked my kids to use ChatGPT, set up an account, whatever. When yeah. we've done some lessons with it, they've given me the prompts, I've put them in, and given them back the results back to them in a Google Doc. Uh, that's a, we did an that's good advice. Yeah, yeah. Well, we did a fun uh, lesson. I can actually drop the link to um, a readers theater, and and we did audio recordings because we do you know oral histories and things like that. And they just came up with a little prompt with some characters and that conflict and some details, and then ChatGPT wrote a you know short little uh, screenplay uh, or or script for them. Anyway, um, the fact that we lo- we license Padlet and it's not like a third party tool or whatever with the different terms of service has made it a uh, you know hey this is a this is a great way to play with generative so I'm gonna I'll play with that some more and I'll report back next week on how uh, it, it's improved because if it's improved at all to the level that mid-journey has you know what
0: a phenomenal incredible difference that is Wow super cool yeah and, and, and again it just tells you what we're kind of dealing with here right Betsy um, uh,
1: Betsy Springer confirms yes it's 13 now for chat GPT so thanks Betsy
0: Okay, so we're we're going to run up right against to it like we do every week, but um, I, the last article that I want to talk about tonight um, is uh, another Washington Post article, and by the way, Wes, thank you for kind of encouraging me to use gift links, right? Like, I, I have a Washington Post and New York Times subscription, and um, I'm finding that I'm sharing these each week on the podcast, and I'm not even going through my 10 every month, but... Uh, This is an article from the Washington Post on April 5th. ChatGPT invented a sexual harassment scandal and named a real law professor as the accused. And this is pretty interesting stuff. But um, a law professor named Jonathan Turley uh, received a troubling email. And as part of a research study, a fellow lawyer in California had asked the AI chatbot GPT to generate a list of legal scholars who had sexually harassed someone. And Turley's name was on the list. The chatbot created by OpenAI said Turley had made sexually suggestive comments intended to touch a student while on a class trip to Alaska, citing a March 2018 article in the Washington Post as a source of the information. The problem, of course, is that the no article ever existed. There had never been a class trip to Alaska, and Turley had never been accused of harassing a student. And um, we've talked about this, you know, a couple of times um, uh, uh, in regards to the broad uh, uh, model here. But remember... At no point is 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 generative AI um, in the way we're using it right now. It's a little different when you're talking about like the edge uh, search engine, right? Um, and Bing, because that is kind of hooked up to a search engine, right? Although, again, I've I've, I've there have been times when it's cited questionable sources as part of its source regime. But it's just creating text and um, based on, you know, large models uh, that, you know, it probably knew Jonathan Turley was a law professor and there probably was an article about a class trip. Uh, it probably wasn't about Alaska. It probably was reported in a mainstream news media source like The Washington Post and The New York Times. But all those pieces are in no way related to one another. They just were all random bits, kind of like Mad Libs that, you know, turn into a story. And that's what's troubling about using uh, AI as a generator um, when you don't know where it's generating from. And if you need any other evidence of this, please know that um, there is a, uh, it's just, it's not a search engine yet. And it's the reason why everything that we, it's reported as factual from these large language models needs to be treated with some suspicion
1: some of the best advice and i think we might have repeated this on the show before um is take a topic that you know quite a bit about and then use chat gpt uh iteratively not just with a single prompt but multiple prompts um and and see what it will get because you'll be able to fact check that out of your own expertise and you may witness and see hallucinations um those can be for books and movies or other things i mean it's yeah, there was an op ed, and I think I have it in uh, a past week. I don't think it it made it up here, but Turley wrote an op ed about this very situation because it was brought to his attention. And you know, and his point was, we can't rely on on these uh, devices, but or these these platforms. But the thing is, we can wring our hands all we want about these aren't search engines, but that's how they're being used. Yeah. And I think that yeah, we we need to keep you know raising the alarm and and, and warning people. We've got a fact check. We've got a fact check. Um, but but people are we do this is what one of the things I agree with Bill Gates uh, in his interview that's on YouTube about ChatGPT and AI most recently. Um, this idea of using natural language instead of code or specific syntax for, for a Google search. You know, you remember when Alan November used to teach uh, his Alta Vista lessons, you know, about the, the ways that you would, you know, hack Alta Vista to do a good search. I mean, that was literacy and that was, was web search literacy, but it just makes a lot more sense to use plain English. And this is the way that Gates says we're going to be increasingly interacting with our computers is by simply talking to them and using plain language. Uh, Peggy is asking a question. If there aren't regulations that might, prevent that what do you think jason
0: no i mean that's the bottom line is is that um uh, well i mean we could get to a point to where people could start you know accusing a large language model of slander right but the problem is is that uh, you know it's it's a platform yeah, I mean, I, it, it, my brain just started spinning around into circles, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, at some point, this becomes a legal thing, almost for sure. And it's in the same ilk as the folks that say that large language models are basing its things like image generation um, on other people's work, right? At um, uh, 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 it, certain point, we're probably gonna have to slug it out about what these tools mean.
1: I want to do two fast ones uh, under miscellaneous, and then I think we probably better geek of the week it. Uh, this is a pretty big one uh, that has not probably had a lot of headlines. Popular Mechanics on uh, April 17th. Why China is banning rare earth metal exports. This is huge. Uh, rare earth metal is used in all kinds of technology applications. I was at Tinker Air Force Base on a tour um, you know, a, a, over a year ago and they were showing us some phenomenal 3d printing technologies and ways that they can basically print just about anything and they can scan the piece. You know, we've got planes that are, they're, you know, made in the fifties that, that are still flying and they've been rebuilt. And it, part of it is because we can do this, but you have to have the source material in order to do that. Well, we have banned a lot of microchip exports to uh, China and and in this, high, as they say, high stakes uh, game of you can't have what I can have, China is moving towards a ban of rare earth metals. And there are um, not, not a lot of places that you can get these things. So it doesn't talk about off-world asteroid mining, but, you know, our son graduated from Carter School of Mines. They have a degree program uh, focused on that. And I think that probably part of what commercial space is going to do is um, – you know try to find more of these rare earth metals but that can have a lot of impact for our our uh, tech uh, sector we're not going to get to the security article that talks about Japan and ransomware but Japan is you know, has been hit by these ransomware attacks and that's also affecting supply chains. But the last one I'll do here under miscellaneous is the Curiosity rover. So we'll do a little space education uh, article here. Uh, this has to do with a software patch. So uh, Jason, have you ever bricked a device uh, like a phone or something when you've yeah. been updating firmware? Okay. Well, yep. imagine updating from 24 million kilometers away from earth. So the Curiosity rover continues to operate and between April 3rd and 7th, all of its uh, science and, engine and imaging operations were put on hold for its software patch. Um, they had the backup patch, and they still do, so they can revert to it if they need to. Um, but it was broken up. Let me see if I can find how many pieces. Um, yeah, I'm not going to find it. They describe it as pretty scary. Seeing if it's going to—I'm uh, not finding the number of pieces that it broke broke into, but basically, you know, just like packetized, it was all these different pieces. It assembled the full um, update. I think it was like a 20 meg update, um, and uh, now it's just going to be operating with a lot more efficiency. Um, And so anyway, I thought that was just really cool. So if you've ever updated anything with firmware, I mean, that can be a dangerous time when you can brick the device because if it's interrupted, ooh, shoot, I I just bricked my my iPhone. You know, that can even happen, I don't know, who would ever jailbreak their phone and... risk that, Uh, but it can happen with, with, you know, any kind of phone that you're updating firmware on. So anyway, it was successful and curiosity is uh, now operating with updated firmware and it took a long time to get that programmed. but yay, NASA. And, you know, just a cool story of that, uh, you know, as a geek who has updated firmware on a few things, I just can't imagine doing that with a robot that I'm, you know, my team is operating 254 million kilometers away from earth. That's kind of cool. Absolutely. Shall we Geek of the Weekend,
0: sir? Yeah, um, and actually I've changed my mind in what I want to share. Okay. Um, I would like to point out a really great um, uh, 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 resource that I found today. It's AI related, and it is, in fact, oh, I'll do two. I want to do a West Friar. Do, do it, one. do it. The first one is there's a lot of great work being done by Dr. Torrey, uh Trust, who is at the College of Education um, at the University of Massachusetts at amherst, and she 's got a couple of great guides. So you can follow her on twitter at at, at Tory trust um, but one of them that I found uh, recently that i 've actually used in context of a couple of conversations i 've been professionally it 's all about AI text detectors and it's it 's a google doc it 's a Creative Commons license, so use it to your heart 's content um, but it is a really well done Description about why these are 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 or why these are probably not as stable or as reliable as you may want them to be, or you might think that they are. And it also quotes some research that I think we talked about a couple weeks back that early researchers have said that it's unlikely we're going to find a uh, a firm detector that's going to, in all cases, be able to detect or 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 even reliably um, suggest that a particular work has been generated by a, an AI text generator. So go ahead.
1: Our Honor Council at our school and our high school um, has already dealt with a number of AI-related ChatGPT incidents. Um, and uh, detectors have played a role in those. And I think that it's important for us to, to take a look at these tools and recognize the limitations of them, um, but also the potential utility that they have.
0: Yep, absolutely. And it's a data point, right? And it should never be the data point. And in fact, I would go a step further and say, having been in the market for several plagiarism detectors in the past and worked with some of these tools, a lot of people want to treat them as a um, you know, as a, uh, uh, yes, it is, it, it is AI generated. No, it's not AI generated. Yes, voice, AI generated.
1: voice of God, you know, this is yeah. absolute truth. Yeah.
0: And it is just not the way to use uh, the plagiarism tools at all. And, and that's, that's based on, um, uh, you know, it's checking it versus a large database, right. Which you would assume, um, is, is going to be a little more, uh, uh easy to manage, than the the opposite, which is the what we're talking about here in context of um, trying to find generated text that doesn't exist somewhere on the internet. But I thought that was interesting. Um, and then also, the, you can befuddle a lot of those uh, 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 generators. Uh, uh, I've seen examples of just adding an extra space between sentences befuddles that the United States Constitution has shown up at one point on GPT-0 as being completely AI-generated. There are a lot of ways to befuddle these, um, uh, but yeah, we I, I agree, Wes. I think you're, you're saying exactly correctly. We have to be really careful about this, and more importantly, uh, it's a data point, but we should never treat it as the data point.
1: Okay, well, I'm going to do a, a single uh, Geek of the Week, and it's a video I watched. I love documentaries. I love 60 minutes. And so 60 minutes a couple of days ago did an almost 30 minute episode, um, not just on AI, but on Google. And it's an interview with Sundar Pichai and many other Google engineers, a little preview into what's coming with Bard and with AI in our uh, Google world of calendar and docs and, and, and mail and all of that kind of stuff. But I really... You know, believe that Sundar Pichai is an exceptionally intelligent, and uh, I think he, he strikes me as a very ethical uh, CEO. Uh, so refreshing, given <laughs> what we have with some other tech CEOs currently. Um, and it's just a fantastic documentary. I'm going to share part of it with my students. Um, there's a segment on robots and talking about machine learning and how quickly these robots are uh, being able to figure stuff out. But the emergent tech, the emergent capacities. And I'm pretty sure it's in that video. I've watched a bunch of different ones, but when they talk about an emergent, I think that they they reference this where they hadn't trained it to know a certain language. And after a very few inputs, the AI taught itself how to respond, read, and interact in another language. And so this is one of the, like, raise the, you know, goosebumps on your arm sort of thing when you're, when we see an emergent behavior or capacity or skill that an AI is demonstrating that hasn't been anticipated. We've seen that before with, uh, ch- with ch- I think it's happened with chess. I know it happened with go. Um, and I I'm trying to remember if it was alpha, alpha go, I guess it was deep, uh, deep mind. Cause there's a lot of stuff in this documentary about Google's deep mind And those folks talking, so check it out. It's about 30 minutes long, well worth your time. And it's absolutely worth sharing with others, because it's such a good breakdown of this stuff that's not just jargon filled. And for tech geeks, you know, it really breaks this down. And part of what we need to be doing, and we do it on the show. And thanks to Peggy and Betsy for being here live and everyone who's listening and, and viewing. Uh, we've got to be processing this change together and helping figure out what does it mean for me and my life and my job and my kids and those that I work with. Because very, very clear with Pachai and the DeepMind, um, you know, leader. This is a technology which many people believe is the most powerful technology that humanity has ever encountered or created, and it is going to change absolutely everything because there there really isn't anything that's not going to be touched by it. So, good stuff.
0: Great, Wes. Thank you. Uh, hey, where can people find you on the internet?
1: I am westfryercom slash after for all of my channels. I still am on Twitter at W and I'm on Mastodon on mastodon.cloud at W How about you? Not AI um, generated
0: knifer, uh, yes, not energy, gen- well, at least not right now. AI generated. Um, I am on Twitter at Tech Savvy Teach. I'm also a mastodon at knife at cloud I think that's where I'm at. And you got it, yep, yeah, there we go. And this here, though, is the tech situation room. We are a once a week podcast on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, sometime in the middle of the night. If you're joining us from Western Europe. Um, we'd love you to join it live. Thanks to our live audience tonight. But if you can't join us live, you can find us wherever Finder podcasts are aggregated. We also have our archived videos on YouTube, Facebook, and also you can go to our website, edtechsr.com, and download tiny mp3s of the podcast or see all of the links from this week and past week's shows. We hope you have a great week. Stay safe, stay savvy. We hope to see you next time on the EdTech Situation Room. Good night. Good night, everybody.